Thank you. You may be seated and open your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 22. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 22. I actually preached from this verse, I'm guessing now, six months ago, something like that, six, eight months ago. But it was not the message I'm preaching tonight. It was in totally different emphasis in that message. Verse 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be Anatha and Maranatha. I remember when I was a boy, a church by the name of the Maranatha Baptist Church. Now, not being a Christian uh, or a churchgoer, I had absolutely no idea what that meant. And I suspect I wasn't alone. Unless I missed my guess, there were a lot of church people uh, that had no idea what Maranatha meant or where it came from. Uh, This word is found only this one time in all of the Bible. And although the New Testament was written in Greek, this is an Aramaic word that was transliterated, and it means our Lord has come or, or our Lord come. Professor Thomas Constable made this observation. He said, It is strange to meet with an Aramaic phrase in a Greek letter to a Greek church. The explanation for that is that this this had become a watchword or a password, something that summed up the vital hope of the church in that day. It was a word that Christians would whisper one to another uh, and identify each other by the use of that word. And, and so it is whispered in a language that, you know, that the heathen would not even understand. And, but when you heard someone walk by and say, you know, in a quiet whisper, Maranatha, you knew that you'd just met a fellow believer. That was important to them because they were under great persecution. And you could say Maranatha was their motto. So tonight I want to I want to preach about uh, Maranatha minded. In other words, that ought to be our mindset. And any time a word, a thought such as this was a watchword and a password and a motto for the early church, there's got to be something important about it. They used the word in greeting one another. They used the word whenever they parted one from another. And so it is both a proclamation that the Lord has come and a prediction that the Lord is going to come. In other words, it is their way of expressing their strong belief in the fact of the intimate return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed that nothing else had to happen for the Lord to come back. I mean, after all, had there had to be some event or some period of time that had to occur, none of this would have made any sense whatsoever, because why would you say, you know, the Lord come if if He can't until, until you've got to go through some period? Now, I raise that issue because there are many preachers who 
teach that in the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia there in Revelation 2 and 3, they claim that each one of those churches represents a church age. And uh, so they've got it all broken down into, uh, in, into, into years, by the way. And uh, speak about the church of the Laodiceans as being, you know, the last period of time. Well, you know, all of that might make them sound like they're wise, but in reality, in my judgment, it just shows their ignorance because those early believers believed in the intimate return of Jesus Christ that absolutely nothing had to happen. He could come at any moment, and they looked for His coming. They lived every day believing that the Lord could come, expecting Him to come. By the way, that's the way that we ought to be living. I say that for a reason. Jesus taught us to pray what? Thy kingdom come. Now, now think about it. When was the last time you prayed that? Thy kingdom come. You know, we say, Our Father. You know, we do that quite often, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, but we get down to that, I kingdom come, we just kind of jump over that and go on about the daily bread and the other other stuff, but we forget about that. But but if he's teaching us to pray, thy kingdom come, you, you, that must mean it's possible for him to come at any moment, right? And if it's possible for him to come at any moment, we ought to be looking for him to come at any second. John, whenever he was praying there in Revelation, by the way, this is right at the end of the book, and he says in chapter 22 and verse 10, Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer of the Bible. Here's the last promise of the Bible. Surely I come quickly. The last prayer, the last promise of the Bible has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called by Paul the blessed hope. And yet, and yet the blessed hope has become a forgotten subject in our churches today because people today have little or no interest in the second coming of Christ because a lot of people that, you know, claim they believe that's what the Bible teaches, they live as though it doesn't. And, 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 and you know, it's hard to understand how it is that we've lost sight of such a glorious truth. And God being my helper, I'm not going to let the church forget about this fact. I, I want to keep it before your eyes, the fact that the Lord is coming. He has come, and He is coming. Now, in light of that, we ought to, number one, we ought to learn about His coming. Do you ever stop and think that you really can't be a true student of the Bible if you don't study prophecy? I mean, if, if you just... And by the way, I'm telling you, a lot of people don't. They say, oh, nobody, nobody can figure all of that out. And the people that won't even read and study the book of Revelation, and yet the book begins by saying, Blessed is he that readeth. You know, in other words, God attaches a blessing to those who do read the book of Revelation. And so, you know, if there's a blessing attached to it, then with God's help, you, you can be able to understand it. And yet, I've heard many different preachers say, you know, I just don't spend a lot of time 
about prophecy because it's so controversial and we can't really understand it, and so they just skip over that. But I say you can't be a real student of the Bible unless you are learning about prophecy. I say that, number one, because of the place that it's given in the Bible. One-third, approximately one-third of the Bible has to do with prophecy. The return of Christ is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. That's about 1 in 25 verses in some way relates to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, we can't be knowledgeable of the Bible if we don't have any any knowledge of prophecy. But also, we ought to learn about His coming, not only because of the place it's given in the Bible, but because of the promises related to that. Over and over and over again, where, where the, the Lord has promised that He's going to come again. And then we ought to learn about it because of the prominence that is given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody has said the flag of prophecy is woven around Jesus. Now think about it. Jesus said, learn of me. Learn of me. He said, you know, come unto me, follow after me, learn of me. It's as though that we are in the school of Christ. He's the teacher and he's the subject. But if I don't study prophecy, then I'm not learning about all of the different areas concerning the Lord. So he has given it great prominence, and because of that, you and I ought to learn of prophecy. Not only that... But there's another reason we ought to be learning about it, and that's because of the perspective that it gives. Turn back to Matthew chapter 16 for just a moment, and we're going to jump around tonight and look at several different verses before we're through. But notice in Matthew chapter 16, in the first three verses, And the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowing. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. You see, whenever we look into prophecy, it enables us to view life from eternity. In other words, we're able to look at the fact that God has a plan that He is working toward. Paul speaks about that in Ephesians chapter number 1, the eternal purpose of Christ. And God has an eternal purpose, and God has a plan that's leading up to that. And whenever we begin to study prophecy and think about it, it helps us to understand, for one thing, the world's value system. Remember, Paul said, "...in the last days perilous times would come." And men shall be lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. And on and on gives us that long list. We see the value of the system of the world whenever we study about prophecy. And that enables us to cope with what we're going through at the time because we know God has a plan and it's not all going to just suddenly end by us being blown into oblivion, you know, by some other nation. God has a plan that, as I've often said, is going to last at least 1,007 years beyond today. I know that right here on this same earth. Not only that, but it promotes faithful service. We could just spend the whole evening on this one fact that we ought to learn 
about His coming. And this is one of the reasons why it promotes faithful service. And there are several scriptures that allude to this. You know, if we had known the time of His coming, if we knew our Lord was coming, we would have done thus and thus. And so it affects the way that we behave because we believe that He might come back even right now. It promotes holiness. Over in First John, those wonderful verses where it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope purifies himself, even as He is holy, you see. If I believe the Lord's coming back, it's going to absolutely change the way that I live. If you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, if angels floated down on feathery white wings and stood here in the, in the auditorium tonight and said, we have come with an announcement from heaven, God Himself has sent us on this mission that at midnight tonight, Jesus is going to come. And if we knew with that kind of, you know, certainty, I'm going to tell you, if I saw something like that, I wouldn't, I'm just being honest, I wouldn't believe it. I would think I'm hallucinating from some medication or something because, uh, you know, I just wouldn't expect anything like that. But when the Bible says He could come at any time, I believe He can come before this service is over. See, I don't need angels coming announcing that fact. But the point I'm making is, if people really, really believed that the Lord was coming back, we'd, we'd change the way that we live. The things we do, the crowd we run with, the places we go, and everything about us would change if we believed the Lord could come back. So we ought to learn about it. Secondly, we ought to look for His coming. Turn over to Titus chapter number 2, and I, 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 I hate it that we've got to rush through this, but we would be here for hours if we just took our time and dealt with every, every related issue. But here in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Now, notice, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn about His coming. Look for His coming. And as strange as, as, it, as it is, as strongly as we claim that we believe, oh yeah, I believe the Lord could come back at any, any minute. Well, in reality, we, we just don't do a lot about it. Uh, because if we're really honest, we'd have to maybe confess that we haven't given it a lot of thought lately. We've talked a whole lot about who we think is going to come out on top of the final four. Uh, who's going to win the, the golf tournament going on out here. We talk a lot about a lot of other things, but uh, you don't hear people talking very much about the coming of the Lord. Those early Christians, every day, many times every day, the watchword was what? Maranatha. Maranatha. The Lord has come and the Lord is coming. They Listen, that's why I titled this Maranatha-minded. 
I, 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 I just want to do something to call your awareness to it. And if you'll just, just get that one word, Maranatha, in your mind and hang on to it and think about it every single day, that one word can remind you of this glorious truth that we need to be looking for the Lord to come back. Not only looking for it, but we ought to be longing for His coming. There's a big difference, you know, between looking for it and actually longing for it. I remember many years ago, it's been probably, it's been over 40 years ago now, and I'd preached a sermon on prophecy, and I'll never forget it because this young man had actually surrendered to preach. And he and his wife came to me after the service and and stated that it was their hope that the Lord would not come back anytime soon. Now, you know, they've always got a reason why well, I hope the Lord doesn't come back because, you know, I've got unsaved friends. I don't want them to come back till they get saved. So, you know, they got all of these different reasons, uh, but uh, it's all based on selfishness and misunderstanding, by the way, when you get right down to it. And we ought to be actually longing for, hoping that the Lord does come back. And when somebody indicates that, well, I hope He doesn't come back in my lifetime, you know, I, I want to stay here as long as I can. Do you have any idea what you're saying? I, I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, my land, heaven is, what, what's that song Nolan sings? Heaven is better than this. And boy, I'm telling you, it is. It's a lot better than this. And we ought to be looking and longing for His coming but there's something else. We ought to love His coming. Over in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8, Paul says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. doesn't say it's worthless, but he says it profits little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of, of, of the life that now is, notice, and of that which is to come, a promise of the life that now is and the life that is to come. Amen. What do you reckon that life is going to be like, that life that comes? Now look in Second Timothy. This is where I should have been. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. Shut up. <laughs> I thought I explained my way pretty well out of that, though. You know, come on, give me some credit. <laughs> Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, here it is, but unto all them that also that love His appearing. Now, there's a big difference between looking for His coming, longing for His coming, and loving His coming. Do you know the devil is looking for His coming? The devil's looking for His coming. You, the, the devil knows He is coming. And, and the Bible says the devil knows His time is short. He, he's about to run out of time that he, can, that, that he can wreck and ruin lives here on this earth. And so, you know, to be able to look for it and to long for it is one thing. But actually to... To love it, that goes above and beyond the others. Because to love it is actually to pray for it as John did. Even so, 
Come, Lord Jesus. I think a lot of times whenever we hear somebody maybe say, well, you know, I just can't wait till the Lord comes back, or I, I, I just can't wait till we're all in heaven, you know, and, you know, that, that, that sounds good, and, and, and it is good, by the way. But a lot of times I think we put the emphasis on the wrong thing. We, you know, we say, well, I wish the Lord would come back. What we really mean is I wish I could get out of this mess I'm in down here. Well, you know, that's secondary to the most important thing. We ought to, listen, we ought to love His coming because He is coming. He, that's where the emphasis ought to be. He is coming. And that's what He said, that He would come again. And we ought to love that truth. Not only that, but as I mentioned a while ago, there in First John chapter 3, verse 3, we ought to live for His coming. You know, failure to, to love His coming is not only a sign of a problem, it is also a signal of more problems to come. Because whenever, whenever the, the child of God gets to that point in their life, that the coming of the Lord is something they're not all that interested in, not even thinking about, all of a sudden we become careless and reckless in our manner of life. You know, it's kind of like a kid. Uh, a kid do a lot of things that they won't do if they know mom and dad's looking. Yeah, if, if they know mom and dad is standing there and watching them, boy, their behavior is entirely different. And I'm afraid, you know, sometimes we Christians take on that childish characteristic in our life. Whenever we are not thinking about that, the fact that the Lord could come at any moment, we get careless in our manner of life also. And so whenever we cease to look for and long for and love the coming of the Lord and to live in the light of that, we, we, not, we not only create problems for ourselves in, in loose living, but also we do the same thing when it comes to the matter of depression and things of that nature, emotional problems. You know, sometimes we forget about the fact that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. This world is not our home. It never was meant to be. And we shouldn't get all of that comfortable here. And if this world is not our home... We shouldn't be that worried about everything that's going on in the world. We get, I think, too upset about things. We, we forget about the fact that God is in control. I don't know how the election is going to come out. If, if those knuckleheads all keep shooting themselves in the foot, I wouldn't blame people if they said, well, you know, uh, we wouldn't vote for any of them. I don't know. They're they just all cutting their own throat. I've never seen anything quite like it in my life. I don't know how the election is going to turn out. Whoever wins, I, I, I'm afraid whoever wins, it's going to be one of those moments like, I can't believe we just did that. I, I, can't, I can't believe it. But mark this down. God hasn't lost control, and God has a plan and if we get something that is, in our mind, bad and harmful for this nation, then it's going to be the thing that we need that will help bring us and turn us back toward God. God didn't promise us exemption from problems and trials. But the problem is, whenever we lose sight of the fact that the Lord is going to come, and whenever He does, when the Lord comes, He's going to take us up 
from planet Earth, and we'll go to meet the Lord in the air. That's what we call the rapture. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, he's going to come back. We, I refer to that as the revelation. He's going to come back. Every eye is going to see him in that day, and he's coming back to earth to rule and to reign. Think about that. And it says we're going to rule and reign with him. So when I think about all the difficulties I'm going through now, it helps me to defeat depression by reminding myself we're not home yet. Well, that that old song Bev used to sing that years and years ago, and we had all of the all of the stair step kids, you know, and and that part when she was saying we're not home yet, children, and I just would you know come unglued at that thought. It's like Mama singing to the kiddos, you know. Uh, we're not home yet, children, and we need to think about that. We're not home yet. The best is yet to come. And when we lose sight of that fact, when we lose sight of that, we're going to be tempted to a greater degree to sin. We're going to be defeated by depression, and we could go on and on. But I want to wrap this up by, by simply concluding several things in light of all we've talked about tonight, that the coming of the Lord, number one, is sure. It is absolutely sure. First Thessalonians, and you hear this at nearly every funeral that you attend. First Corinthians, and he says in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Boy, I tell you, ignorance can be a, be a big problem uh, for us. And it shouldn't be when it comes to the divine truths that God has recorded in his word. He said, I'll not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, now notice this, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not giving you something that was handed down to me. This is not hearsay. It's not my personal gut feeling. I say this by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep for the Lord himself. What's that next word? Shall. He shall. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So that, listen, that is sure. And you'll remember there in John 14 where the Lord told his, his followers that, that he will come again. That's the Lord himself speaking. It can't get any more sure than that. You talk about blessed assurance. This is blessed assurance because God never fails to keep his word. So it's sure. Secondly, it's sudden. Over in Matthew chapter 24 again, let's go back over there for just a minute. And there are actually several different verses in the Bible that relate to this. But in chapter 24 and verse number 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I mean, that's, that's sudden. It's like lightning happening. Uh, Paul relates in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 52, he says, in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, that's faster than a blink, by the way. 
And so here he's simply telling us that it is sure and that it is sudden. That is, it's going to be without warning, which means that it is surprising. First Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a what? A thief in the night. Surprising. I, you know, I've uh, known a lot of people that got robbed. I've been robbed. But I've never heard of anybody getting uh, a notice from the thief saying, you know, at 12 o'clock midnight tomorrow night, I, I'm going to sneak in the back door and I'm going to, I'm going to rob you. No, but they, they, they come at what? In a time when you least expect it. And, and the Lord says that's the way my coming is going to be. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be sure. It's going to be sudden, like the lightning, like the twinkling of an eye. But then it's going to be selective. It says over in Luke chapter 17 that there will be two in the bed and one will be taken and one left. There will be two in the field and one taken and the other one left. Selective. When the Lord comes, He's coming for His people. Now think about that. That simply means when the Lord comes and you've got, let's say, a, a Christian woman married to an unsaved man, and when the Lord comes, whatever the hour might be, she'll be snatched out of the bed and taken up to be with the Lord, and He's going to be left laying there alone. You know, we, we people have written books and they've made movies out of this, and uh, it, it, it seems so unearthly you know it seems like well it seems like maybe something out of hollywood and people have you know thought to themselves why why in the world would i believe in something that is so supernatural so unearthly how in the world do you expect us to believe that well i don't have a problem with that at all because you know because what is supernatural to us is natural with god Think about those pilots flying the plane. You know, here, here you've got one the pilot. He's a Christian. The co-pilot's not. And just all of a sudden, the pilot's gone. You know, we, we talk, talk about that, and, you know, they pictured it in movies and things. But that's real. I mean, that, that's going to happen. Some fellow up there, you know, flying the plane. He's a single pilot, a little Piper Cub or something. And he's saved. He's got maybe a member or two of his family crammed in that thing. And he's saved and the Lord comes and he's going up and they're going down. But think about how heartbreaking the reality of this is. That in a moment of time that your saved loved ones are going to disappear. Can can. Can you imagine the politicians trying to explain this away? Wow, I mean, but here's the thing. If you study prophecy, you'll know there's going to be the man of sin is going to come along, the Antichrist, and he'll have, he'll have an explanation for that. The sad thing is, it says, and they shall believe the lie. They shall believe the lie. The supernatural, sudden coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Some will be taken and some will be left. Would you be ready if Jesus came tonight? Would you be ready? Back when I first started preaching, I'll tell you, prophecy all across America, it seemed like it was on the lips of every preacher. You never heard of a revival service, regardless of who was preaching. Every revival service, there was going to be a night dedicated to the subjects of prophecy. I'll guarantee you, you wouldn't make it through the week without some message related to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were those who had radio programs dedicated to nothing but prophecy, several of them. And now you almost never even hear it mentioned. We've just become silent. And let me tell you, the truth hasn't changed one bit. The Lord is coming. The Lord could come at any moment. I said this morning that I was convinced, and I'm not a prophet, and, I, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the room or anything like that. I just believe that God put that message on my heart because somebody was here that was unsaved and needed that message. But I'm telling you, I think we would be shocked that when the Lord comes and all of a sudden we realize how many didn't make the cut, how many, and that's a bad way to put it, how we realize how many got left behind. And what a sad thought that is to think about the people that you love dearly with all of your heart being left behind. Oh, it's going to be wonderful for you in heaven, but it'll be hell for them here on earth. We need to be rapture ready. We need to be Maranatha minded. Maybe you ought to get Brother Dennis to make a plaque that just says Maranatha. There you go, brother. He's taking it. Where'd he go? Oh, he left. Give him, get everybody making orders. And what, what are you want on the sign? You know, just, brother Dennis wants you to make a sign for me. What do you want? Maranatha. That's all I want on it. And it would be an amazing reminder. It would help us to be Maranatha-minded because every day we'd look at that and we'd think, the Lord has come, the Lord is coming. And if you're not ready for His coming tonight, you need to get ready. If your loved ones are not ready, you need to do what you can to try to reach them with this truth. Can you imagine how far-fetched, how... How much like science fiction this seems to to unsaved people. So you don't want to start there. You want to start with what? You want to start with what they already know. What's that? They they know that they are a sinful human being and they're not satisfied. And the only place they're going to find salvation and satisfaction is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all they need to know to get them to heaven. It's all they need to know that that would help them to be rapture ready like you are. So Maranatha, let's stand. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have already come. We've walked down that Calvary road with you and we've tried our very best to think about 
what took place there on Calvary's hill and there on the cross. And we're so grateful for that. We're thankful for the truth that you ascended back up into heaven. And there you sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And we're so very thankful that you have given us your promise that you will come again. In a time when it's unexpected, help us, Heavenly Father, to never give up that hope, but help us, Heavenly Father, to realize that any day now, any moment of any day that you could come back. And we can't think of anything better, and so we close tonight with John's prayer, Even so come, Lord Jesus, for we ask it in his name.